This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Hello and welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, the founder of MrDad.com. The first three trimesters and the fourth, which is those blurry newborn days, those are for the baby. But the fifth trimester is when the working mom is born. No matter what the job or how you define work, you're going to have a lot of questions. And whether you're in the final stages of pregnancy or you're hitting the panic button on your last day of leave, what you need are some strategies that will help you embrace your new identity as a working parent and set yourself up for success. Well, the good news is that that's exactly what you're going to get in this part of today's show. My guest is an expert in helping parents and businesses collaborate to create more family-friendly workplace cultures, and she's got an awful lot to say about everything that goes into this entire fifth trimester. It all starts, of course, with going back to work and trying to find childcare, and we'll talk about what she's found in going through all of the research that there is out there on the effects of a mother's going back to work on her children. Some people say it's good, some people say it's bad, and the conclusion is kind of inconclusive. We'll also talk about some of the differences between the way that men and women experience their own fifth trimesters and what exactly constitutes equality. I'm Armin Brott. We'll start talking about the fifth trimester when Positive Parenting continues right after this. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brott, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. Music is a bridge between the material and the spiritual. My name is Harvey Lauer, and I'm 82. As a blind person, you have to be aware that nobody can tell you what you can or can't do. You really have to try things. My folks got me a little radio in 1940, and that was the best Christmas present I ever got. When I was 11 years old is when I started to uh, play music, play the piano, and then the accordion, and then the cello. My wife, who was also blind, was a good cook. When she died, that's when I started Meals on Wheels. America, let's do lunch. One in six seniors faces the threat of hunger, and millions more live in isolation. Drop off a hot meal and say a quick hello. Volunteer for Meals on Wheels by donating your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and my guest for this part of today's show is Lauren Smith-Brody, who's the author of The Fifth Trimester, The Working Mom's Guide to Style, Sanity, and Success After Baby. Lauren, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. All right. So the fifth trimester, so that is roughly starting with about three months of age, if we're counting trimesters as three months. Exactly. Yeah. So the first three months are pregnancy, the fourth trimester, and it may be shorter, it may be longer, depending on um, how much parental leave you have away from your job. But um, it's the idea that, you know, human babies are born um, a trimester too early. And so along with that goes the idea that you wake, you know, your baby wakes up to the world right around 12 weeks and becomes a real baby. And of course, if you have, if you qualify for FMLA, that is exactly when you are going back to work. Um, if, if, you know, in some cases you probably may even have already been back at work for, you know, a month or so at that point. Yeah, depending on whether you have coverage or 
paid leave or unpaid leave exactly. or whether you've got a uh, exactly. it depends even, on all sorts of things. Even if you qualify for paid leave or even if you qualify for unpaid leave, FMLA, I should say, uh, you know, a, a very small percentage of the population is actually able to take the full amount of leave unpaid because who can afford to not be paid <laughs> for a quarter of their year? Yes. So um, many, many American moms are going back to work before they're emotionally and physically ready to be there. Um, I know I that was the case for me. And yet having gotten through it, once I was on the other side of what I call the fifth trimester, it did feel... Um, in fact, like a developmental phase, only this one was for mom, and there was a lot that I got out of the experience that was trying at the time, but that ultimately has helped me have real perspective on kind of all transitions of working motherhood. Okay, and so what does it start with? I mean, you, you start you start the book. I mean, chapter one is who's taking care of your little person. One would hope that you've had these conversations long before the twelfth week of <laughs> of your baby's life. Oh, sure. Of course. Yeah. I mean, my assumption writing this book is that, you know, hopefully, um, you know, women are receiving it at baby showers or in time to, um, you know, to read it in time to prepare. But that decision around childcare is um, the reason it leads the book is because it is, you know, it's the fundamental decision you're making that oh, is going to yeah. make everything else work, right? Um, and, you know, we do not have universal child care here in America. And, uh, and so it's something that requires a lot of juggling. And it is also, you know, one of the big reasons that a lot of women drop out of the workforce is because when they find out what they're going to have to pay for child care, suddenly the math they do in their head on their own salary doesn't, doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, and part of what I want to help achieve with this book and with this community of mothers helping each other is to understand that if you do stay in the workplace, that you can um, change policies from within to ultimately benefit um, other other working moms as well. Um, but the childcare, so I really, um, my own experience was that my husband and I um, had a nanny in our home. It was um, a big financial stretch, to be totally honest, in that moment. My husband was in his medical residency, and I was an editor at a magazine, um, and it was kind of the only thing in New York City at that time that work, worked for the hours that we needed to work. Um, so we had to make it work financially, and it was it was a big stretch. Um, so that was my bias coming in. So I did a lot of research about other approaches to childcare, of course, because that you know I needed to make sure that other moms felt like you know they could they could see their options. And there were so many more out there than I had even thought of initially. So obviously, you know, there's also daycare and there's au pairs. Um, but a lot of what I learned was about people who kind of cobble together different versions of making it work. Whether it is you know. Mom works from home one day or has, you know, works a four-day week. Dad works a four-day week, and then maybe mom, mother-in-law lives one town over and comes in for a day. But everyone kind of had their own combination of making it work. And when I looked at the research in terms of what is most beneficial to, to baby, to, you know, baby's sort of long-term health and development, I was really surprised because there was no definitive answer about, you know, it even necessarily being better for mom to be home with baby oh, yeah. or relative. Yeah. It, what it really boiled down to was was mom's comfort, mom's emotional comfort mm -hmm. with the childcare decision that she and her partner were making together. Right. And so right. that is what really led all of the research that I did. Yeah, that whole thing about the it, it's really frustrating and I imagine it's it's probably a little bit more frustrating as a mother because mothers tend to be the focus of this, but it's like yeah. the, the studies keep come in waves. There's there's one that says that kids who go who, whose mothers go back to work right away are fine. And yeah. then there's another one a few years later that says kids whose mothers go back to work right away grow up to be serial killers. Oh, and, no. You <laughs> that, know, one does not, that does not exist. Well, okay, okay that, that study one. study does not exist. Well, you know what I mean. But I mean, you know, it, yes, it, it yes. points out all sorts of, of, of terrible yeah. consequences, which makes everybody feel 
terrible on either end of it. I mean, either yeah. you should be or you shouldn't be. Well, and, and dads, dads are feeling the same thing. I mean, as as yeah. more and more dads are taking on a greater responsibility, they're they're feeling the the same sort of guilt. That is why. Uh, so the study that I'm citing actually was a compendium of I think almost a thousand studies. So it yeah. was really meant to be kind of the definitive look at the ones who said serial killer and the ones right. who said like you know the kid is great um, to, right. to kind of really boil it down. But the irony being that the the definitive answer is that there is no answer. <laughs> no, the, the, the definitive answer really is it's about the parents' emotional comfort with their decision because if they're comfortable with it, their child is going to feel that. So the question right. is not. You know, how do I get you know mentally healthy about this? It's it's you know how am I am I making a decision that is not just necessarily logistically comfortable for me, but that emotionally feels like the right choice to make. Well, and that could really I, yeah. lead you. I mean, if if you go back to work and you spend all of your time looking at the nanny cam or yeah, you know, worrying about everything, you're not going to be particularly effective at work, and they're right. not going to be very happy to have you back. Right. Well, the studies the studies that look at um, uh, mothers in particular, but new parents' success in the workplace transitioning back to work after baby are um, there are several of them that really are about focus, and focus is really the predictor of whether or not you're able to succeed. So if you can focus, you're going to do well. So I did a lot of looking in the book at what it takes for you to to feel focused and to be able to turn your attention to the work at hand. Focused at work, you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right, and then you talk about the second cutting of the cord. Yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, which I, I love the the per- parenthetical afterwards. This Sorry, one you feel. Graphic. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like everything about childbirth is graphic. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so that is you know your first your first day and your first weeks back at work, which can feel um, obviously like a huge transition, even for someone who has been very ambitious and who's really comfortable with their job. If you're going back to work with after having had a new baby, it is in many ways your first day on the job as a new working parent and. Um, with that comes uh, a sea change for a lot of women um, in terms of their sort of how they, their identity, um, how they feel about themselves, um, and also all of the feelings they may have about what happened um, while they were away and who who covered for them, who didn't cover for them, you know, um, all of the things you really haven't had a lot of time to think about. You're suddenly hit in a big wave with coming back, um, and so there are a lot of um, there are a lot of very simple pieces of advice that, that can work well here. You know, come back and, and treat it. You probably aren't coming back to an enormous, you know, um, backlog of work because things have been handled, like the world didn't stop spinning while you were out. So if you can take the first, you know, couple of days and treat them almost as if you would a brand new job and that you're going to go and have one-on-one conversations with kind of all the, little, all the people in your orbit, um, that can really help you catch up very quickly and, and um decipher, you know, what is something important that happened while you were away that requires following up on, and what is something that you, that might be interesting or might not feel so great that it happened while you were away, but that you can just let go for the sake of looking forward to the future and moving forward in your job. Now, I'm curious, one of the chapters, I, I, I you know, get because I'm doing so many interviews with, with parenting authors, spend an awful lot of time reading these things, Yeah. And uh, but there, there are interesting differences that show up between men and women, and, and one of these chapters here... Uh, on, on looking human again, about, yeah. about beauty. I think, wow, that's not something you're going to find in many. I, I certainly have never written about that as a dad. Because, sure. uh, you know, it, it, it's something that, for better or worse, is is not the way that men are evaluated. We, no, we're true. evaluated in, you know, what's going on on the other side of our, our pants. 
um, <laughs> yes. the the wallet the wallet side. Well, I mean. it also it is it is the you know the distinction of you know if you have if this is a child you have carried you know as a mom yourself, then you know your body has been through a lot of changes that can. Yeah like it or not, can impact how you feel about yourself and what you project to the world. And I have to admit that, you know, coming from, I, I was working at a women's magazine. I was working at Glamour magazine when I had both of my children. And writing this book in some ways felt like um, moving beyond sort of the superficial and really looking deeply. And the truth is, is I, I discovered very quickly just in my interviews with these hundreds of moms and in looking at the research too, that there's no getting around the physical change that happens. And if you're coming back to work before you feel physically ready to be there and emotionally ready to be there, you better believe you have to kind of protect yourself and how it's going to show yeah. up on in the way you look and in the way you present yourself. Talking with Lauren Smith Brody, who's the author of The Fifth Trimester. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll keep talking to Lauren about how women can make things better for other women in the workplace. I'm Armin Brandt, and you're listening to Positive Parenting. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. You hear it every time you finish a meal and never feel anything. But if we were able to associate this sound with a new stimulus, save the food, we've achieved pulling a natural response from you. Save the food. Why are we doing this, you may ask. Save the food. Because this ad is trying to change your after-meal behaviour through brainwashing. Because food waste costs the average family $1,500 a year. Save the food. Cha-ching. And $1,500 extra bucks is like getting a pay raise. Save the food. Cha-ching. You're promoted. Which could pay for your child's braces. Save the food. Cha-ching. You're promoted. Check out my braces. So when you hear this sound, rethink your behaviour. Cook it. Store it. Share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. It may be hard to believe, but people just like you are already saving money. Feedthepig.org makes it easy. Their simple savings plan teaches you how to start saving without going overboard. So you don't need to mooch off your friends. You going to finish that grape? You mean the one in my mouth? You don't need to stop buying the necessities. What you're smelling is a natural musk. Ew. You don't need to be a medical test subject. How do you feel? Mostly okay. I... <laughs> Sometimes, though. <laughs> you don't need to get a second job as a stuntman. We need a new stuntman. Let's break for lunch. You just need an internet connection. Don't get left behind. Start your personal savings plan with the tips and tools on feedthepig.org. That way, you don't need to sell your soul to the devil. Fifteen bucks is the best I can do. All right, deal. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Lauren Smith Brody, the author of The Fifth Trimester, The Working Mom's Guide to Style, Sanity, and Success After Birth. And at the very beginning of the show, you were talking about how one of your goals was to help women to get to a point where they can help other people, other women, other other men who are going to benefit from this as well. Absolutely, uh, yeah. from, from these programs, because as you, you just said it in, in almost a throwaway, that we, we don't have a family leave policy that governs the, the entire country, as so many other countries do. So we really have to do this on a grassroots level until somewhere along the line somebody decides to to 
get their head out of their right. yeah. <laughs> out, of, out of something we can't talk about on air. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, yeah. So, so you know, what I like to say is that you know, so pregnancy in particular, and, and obviously this book is it's meant for adoptive parents as well, for any approach to motherhood, any approach to career. But you know, so pregnancy in the workplace is probably the most physical personal life need you will ever see among your coworkers, right? But the truth is, is everyone has a personal life, no matter if they have children, if they don't have children. You might have, you know, an older parent who requires some elder care, a spouse or partner who, you know, gets ill, or even just something in your own life, your mental health, or, you know, uh, even something really positive, like a charity that you really want to support, or some, some work that you're doing outside of work that's important to you. And in solving for these issues for new parents, what we're actually doing is making people more comfortable with the idea that there's not such a separation anymore between work and personal. If you want to do really good work, you're going to do it in a personal way, and you're going to bring some of your personal life to work, and that's going to be okay. One thing I tell new mothers who are coming back, if they're not feeling great about themselves, if they feel like, and, and they are in many, many, many ways more capable, but if they're not feeling more capable in that moment, if they're having to go back before they feel ready to be there, to know that even if you are just stumbling through, even if you're messing up along the way, even if it's just, you know, one foot in front of the other is the best you can do in those those weeks and months that you're first coming back, you are doing some good because you are being transparent about the challenges of new working parenthood in your in your workplace and that will ultimately move culture forward for the better because we can't solve problems if they're not visible. We have right. to know there's a need before your well intended colleagues and bosses can help make things better. Now, what do you tell people who have to deal with the, it's not exactly a backlash, but I know that I, I've heard from, from people who don't have kids that there's yeah. so much focus on the Family Medical Leave Act and, and the parenting thing and maternity leave and paternity leave and or parenting leave or whatever it is or adoptive parents that there's so much focus on the kids. And yeah. as you said, everybody has a personal life, but when the policies are couched or the approaches are couched as a parenting thing, Mm-hmm. There, there are people who don't have kids who are going to feel left out and sure. who are going to feel some resentment, I think in some ways justifiably so, that their needs are not being taken care of or, or not being accommodated to the same extent that parents are. Uh, I, but I, mean, you, but, I, would, I would tell them to be vocal. I would absolutely, you know, everyone I interviewed for this book told, oh, not everyone, but a lot of people I interviewed with this book told me stories of other people in their workplace who didn't have children who needed to ask for something too. And in some ways that actually emboldened them. And it's really the same it's really the same answer. When we make things better for parents, we will make things better for everybody. One thing I do tell new moms coming back and I believe me, the last thing I want to do is give anybody a to do list coming back to work. Your to do list is already too long. But if you can find I hate the word bandwidth, if you can find the bandwidth to do to do one thing, one kindness that tends to the personal life of someone in your workplace who does not also have a small child. And this might be somebody who has a kid in college or children who are grown. Do something that just lets you help that other person in some way to show, hey, this is not just about the fact that I was pregnant and had a baby. This is about the fact that we're all human, and thank you so much for helping me when I was out, and please know I'm going to help you too. Okay. You know, you talk in the book about science, uh, in, in many places. But one thing I was particularly intrigued by was the science of working through sleep deprivation, which was yeah. done done by the military. And I, I can see that from the other side, because as years ago, it seems like a previous life, I was in the Marine Corps and my job was mm. an interrogator translator. And wow. but, in, but the interrogation part, I mean, one thing you learn is 
sleep deprivation is a form of torture. I mean, Absolutely. literally a form of torture. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you want you want to just be horrible to somebody. You can keep them awake forever. And so I, I'm, I'm intrigued by what you have to say about working through sleep deprivation. How do you do yeah. that? Well, so like everything else in this book, I really took the approach of this is not this is not a parenting book. It's not a baby care book. It's really a book to take care of yourself so you can take care of your child. So I'm never going to tell anybody how to how to get their baby to sleep because far be it from me. And you can find a sleep train, don't sleep train, whatever's going to work for your baby, fine. But the one thing I could do is I could ask experts in maternal sleep about how do you work through sleep deprivation. And primarily, the best thing you can do is to to acknowledge that if you're not sleeping yet, that whatever little sleep you're getting really needs to count. And so the way to do that is to protect the hour, particularly the hour before you go to sleep at night, to you know, make it, make it screen-free, to dim the lights if you have dimmers. If you don't have dimmers, get them. It's worth it. Um, and to really set your body into getting ready to sleep mode so that once you do fall asleep for whatever couple of hours you're going to get, that they're really good hours. So there's that. And there's also a lot of information about if you um, – if you're up in the night with the baby, first of all, how to share some of that time with your partner. If you are fortunate enough to have a partner, use that partner. Please try not to think of yourself if you are home on maternity leave and your spouse is, is back at work already, which is often the case. You know, you have to remember that the work you're doing, taking care of a human baby the next day, is actually vital, incredibly important work. And yeah. just with the wake-ups. Yeah. You will both be better off if you split the wake-ups. There's all kinds of studies that show that it's actually protective of the relationship yeah. for dad to participate in that. And then once you're at, in the workplace, if you aren't sleeping yet, this is sort of counterintuitive, but the, um, one of the experts I spoke to suggested the idea that, you know how you all, everybody gets kind of tired after lunch. There's that slump that happens around 2 o'clock. So if you aren't sleeping yet, then it's sleeping through the night yourself, then obviously you feel that you know more than anyone. Um, and what you can do is actually, if you have enough control over your schedule, try to plan something during that time that actually requires adrenaline. So if you know that you're going to have to make an important phone call, if you know that you're going to have to be on in a meeting in some way, schedule it for after lunch because you will get a natural burst of adrenaline mm -hmm. that will carry you through yeah. the afternoon. Yeah, I want to go back to the wake-up thing, though, because you, you yeah. said the word split the wake-up, which yep. I thought was, mm -hmm. was uh, I want to get your take on this. I teach classes for expectant fathers, and one of the things I tell them is, to the extent possible, don't yeah. get up in the middle of the night and do, the, do this stuff with your partner. Have her pump some bottles yeah. so that you can do a couple of the feedings, and she can get some sleep, and then yeah. she does, you know, so you don't have to get up, so she, while she's pumping these bottles, you can get some sleep. Right. Um, so you end up with two people who are really, really tired, but they're not sleep-deprived. And there is, at least in what I've looked at, there's a clinical difference there, which happens somewhere yeah. around four or five hours of sleep. If you can't get that on a regular basis, you're going to be nuts. Yeah, we've, so we've obviously looked at the exact same stuff. So it really, the protective amount of sleep is two REM cycles, which is about four hours. And so the best thing you can do is to get two whole nights sleep yourself and for your partner to get two whole nights sleep him or herself too. But the sort of second best is to get two REM cycles. So one of you, you know, puts the earplugs in. If you have another space to sleep in, great, um, and get those four hours. Um, and if one of you is a night person and one of you is a morning person, use that to your advantage. You know, maybe mom goes to bed at 9 o'clock at night and dad stays up and does a midnight bottle, and then mom doesn't have to be up again until 1 or 2. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you really have to be – 
good communicators and and honest about the fact that this is not one person's job versus the other. And the um, the pumping that you were talking about is is what makes it really complicated for a lot of parents, obviously. But you know, for the, once you're once you're in a rhythm and once you've got you know the first few weeks under your belt, it is possible to pump at least one bottle and, yeah. and get that four hours. Right. We only have less than a minute, but I want you just to to talk about the equality thing and yeah. equality not being. 50% right down the middle, but being kind of what you talked about, if somebody's a morning person, somebody's an afternoon person, yeah. take advantage of, of the things that you might be more naturally gravitating towards. Right. And don't gatekeep. That is the big message for moms. And I am I am like raising my hand here sitting at my desk talking to you because I'm so guilty, but I'm getting better. But, you know, <laughs> there's, a, there's a disparity that happens when mom is home on leave longer than dad. Mom becomes an expert at it all. And then when you both go, when you're both back at work and you get home at the end of the day, mom wants to do it all herself and doesn't want dad to and wants it done her way. And yep. that is not sustainable over the course of a marriage. So you've got to try to, you know, yeah. knock some of these patterns early. Lauren Smith Brody is the author of The Fifth Trimester, The Working Mom's Guide to Style, Sanity, and Success After Baby. Lauren, thanks so much. Thank you very much for having me on. Hey, there he is. How's it going? I'm having a stroke. Are you going to shake my hand or what? I'm having a stroke. Wow, you're not even moving your arm. I'm having a stroke. Are you okay? I'm having a stroke. Your face looks weird, too. I'm having a stroke. Are you having a seizure or something? I'm having a stroke. When someone is having a stroke, they may not be able to say it with words, but their body language will tell you loud and clear. I'm having a stroke. You just need to know the sudden signs. Look for FAST, F-A-S-T. F, face drooping. A, arm weakness. Or S, speech difficulty. Then T, time. Time to call 911 immediately. Because the sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in their recovery. Know the sudden signs. Face, arm, speech, time. Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and it's time for an Ask Mr. Dad segment. Dear Mr. Dad, a few years ago, you wrote about the benefits of meditation for children. I honestly thought you were joking, but a counselor at my son's school just recommended it, saying it could help my son's severe anxiety. When I asked how to do it, he handed me a copy of your article. For the benefit of other listeners, would you please review the benefits and how to? Well, thank you for your email. I've been meaning to restart my own meditation practice for a while, I've got to say, and you've just given me the extra motivation boost that I needed. A lot of people, including me, are skeptical when they hear about the benefits of meditation. However, in the case of meditation, many of the benefits have been scientifically proven. And it's not just people who've been doing it for 20 years who benefit. In many cases, you can see the results in as little as a week. Over the course of thousands of studies... Meditation has been shown to reduce anxiety, depression, and feelings of stress, increase focus and reduce the symptoms of ADD, increase immune system function and reduce inflammation, lower blood pressure and reduce the risk of heart attack and stroke, reduce the amount of sleep you need to feel rested, make your brain bigger and increase your IQ, improve memory recall and lower the risk of developing dementia, boost creativity, reduce the likelihood of becoming addicted to drugs or alcohol, improve your ability to cope with pain, prevent asthma and a variety of conditions that are caused by inflammation in the body, 
reduce loneliness and social isolation, and overall help you live a longer, healthier life. Whew, that's pretty impressive, isn't it? As someone who's obsessed with research, I wanted to know exactly how something as simply as meditation could possibly produce so many positive outcomes. It turns out that meditating changes blood flow in the brain, increasing it in certain areas, such as the ones that govern memory and social function, and reducing it in other areas, such as the ones that regulate anxiety, stress, and depression. It also changes blood flow in other parts of the body, hence the heart and stroke-related benefits. But at the end of the day, the how and the why aren't really all that important. What really counts is that in addition to the many documented benefits, there have been no documented risks. So why not give it a try? Here's how. Start by making it a regular thing. For kids or adults who are just starting, 5 to 10 minutes once or twice a day is fine. Gradually increase it to 15 to 20 minutes if you're able. Get comfortable. While you can meditate in the lotus position, you can just as easily do it sitting in a chair, lying down in bed, or walking. Just do it. There are more than a dozen types of meditation. Some involve focusing your mind on a particular word or phrase called a mantra, but you can just as easily start by focusing on your breath. Slowly count one for the first inhale, hold for two seconds, then exhale. Count two for the next set. Chances are you won't get to three before your mind starts heading off in 127 different directions at the same time. When that happens, resist the urge to criticize yourself for losing focus. Just observe that your mind has wandered and gently bring yourself back to your breathing and start counting again. Over time, you'll find that you're able to clear your mind of many of those distractions. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.